we're so excited to be joined by Al Coke and Dad. He's and the best. He is the best. And Al, I want you to take us back 34 years ago, April 18th, 1987, known as the Easter Epic at Cap Center. Take us back to that game seven, that four overtime game. What was it like when you walked into Cap Center that day? Well, you know, of course, it's like a game seven. You have that great mixture of excitement and nervousness. You know that everything's on the line. And I think what people also have to kind of remember where the two teams were really at that point. The New York Islanders were a dynasty, and you know, New York Islanders were still the elite team in the East. Now, maybe their best days were slightly behind them, but they were still the New York Islanders, the four-time Stanley Cup champion New York Islanders. And the Caps were building something. As your dad can certainly recognize the moves David Poyle made, bringing him, Rod Langway, Doug Jarvis, Brian Engblom in, and then started to draft guys like Scott Stevens, Kevin Hatcher, making an unbelievable deal, waiting and waiting everybody out until Phil Esposito finally jumped at Bobby Carpenter and got two valuable pieces like Kelly Miller and Mike Ridley. You could see this team building. So you really had the up-and-comers against the dynasty, and that really added to it. Could the Capitals finally get over that hump? And could they beat the juggernaut, New York Islanders? So there was so much that went in to the buildup of that game. Now, Aldo, did you think that the Caps were going to win in regulation? Because I was there watching. Unfortunately, I was injured. But I thought we took it to the Islanders and deserved a better fate in regulation. Did you see it that way as the analyst at that time? 100%. I, so many things that jump out in my mind were just the true domination that the Capitals had in that game. I mean, if you want to just judge it by shots, it was 36-21 at the end of regulation, but that doesn't really speak to the quality of scoring chances that the Capitals had. So I knew the value of goaltending, but I didn't really appreciate it until I saw it like that, where Kelly Rudy ends up making 72 saves. And Bobby Mason at the other end was just as good, made some spectacular saves as well. So you look back and you think, how did they ever lose that game? Kind of eerily reminds me of what we saw in 2012 in that Yaroslav Halak game where the Capitals could not get anything by him. It was the same way, maybe even more so because the Capitals, and again, even in overtime, dominated. It wasn't just regulation. They dominated and territorially had the advantage all night long and yet here we are looking at the, one of the craziest, <laughs> most disappointing chapters in Capitals history. So, Al, what was it like then as a broadcaster? Because now, like, we have smartphones. We can look up stats. We know things that right. we can talk about between each intermission. So what was that like for you to have to come up, uh, come up basically with things to talk about in a four-overtime game in the intermission. And I mean, don't, that was different. And don't tell me, Al, that you lost 25 pounds like Langway <laughs> did, okay? <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. And I'm, sure it wasn't, I'm sure he didn't replenish it all with just oranges, right? <laughs> so how was it for you? And, and Courtney yeah, asked well, a great question, keeping the yeah. stories going. Well, we, I mean, we certainly leaned on you in some of the intermissions, and, you know, we, we had a – kind of come up with stuff but you know what was interesting back in the day now you and joe do it so differently but one of the things my partner then mike Horns, who was an outstanding play-by-play -play guy and really did a great job but one of his rules was when the puck is in play it's me when the puck is out of play it's you so he probably had to do three times as much talking as <laughs> i had to do 
So I had a, I probably had a little more left in the tank, but we were kind of going by Mike Forens' rules. But yeah, you just had to come up with things. But you also, there was plenty to analyze. And part of what we were, I remember talking on the broadcast was basically, how could we still be here because the Capitals were so good? And the other thing that I think people didn't realize too, and Locker, you could appreciate it, also to play that long and how Brian Murray leaned on so many key players because one of the unsung heroes of that night would have been a guy by the name of Grant Martin. Your center iceman, Alan Haworth, yeah. couldn't play that night, and they called Grant Martin up from the minors, never played for the Capitals. He ends up scoring the goal that made it 2-1. And with five minutes left to go in the game, the Capitals are leading in regulation 2-1 because of Grant Martin's goal. He could have been a household name in Washington, D.C. He could have been a legend mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C. But, you know, Grant Martin really didn't play that much. You had Scott Stevens, Rod Langway, um, Larry Murphy, and Kevin Hatcher with the backups, quote-unquote, being Greg Smith and John Blum, right? Those mm -hmm. guys didn't play yeah. that much. So Brian Murray pretty much leaned on an entire four-overtime game on four defensemen. Now, Aldo, I remember that game like it was yesterday, watching it from the stands, unfortunately, but wasn't there a huge cheer when they announced Kelly Rudy as the starter? And weren't you a little surprised at that? Yeah, because Billy Smith had always been the capital census. Right? Billy Smith had always been the guy, but, you know, obviously, Hal Hubbard knew what he was doing, right? I mean, because you yeah. couldn't have asked for a better performance from, from Kelly Rudy. It was one of the most yeah. amazing things. And as we said, Bob Mason was equally as good. I mean, we're, you're talking about, you know, again, the, the Traches and LaFontaine's, the guys we know, but that, that Islander team was loaded with real talent, too. So Bobby Mason was, was excellent. But Kelly Rudy just stole the show that night. It was, I mean, there was a 2-0 breakaway when Mike Ridley hitting goalposts. It was just, it, just quality chances. That's what I think people kind of also kind of failed to realize. It was the quality chances were certainly there in regulation. But it really didn't change in overtime. It didn't get to be a, okay, I'm just going to take my 20-second shift and dump the puck in. Both teams went at it. Both teams went for the killer and couldn't get it because of the goaltenders. So, Al, where does this game stack up for you kind of in your broadcasting career? Right. I, obviously, it was a disappointment. But, like, where, where does that stack up for you? I'm sure it was the longest game that you've ever been a part of, or maybe not. I don't know. Well, well, yeah, but it, but then seven years later against the Pittsburgh Penguins, I'm doing I'm literally sitting in the exact same spot doing a doing a four overtime game, but as the play by play voice that night. So it 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 was kind of an eerie deja vu to see all that. But there's no doubt, Courtney, that ranks up there as has got to be at the top because of the unusual circumstances surrounding it and the fact that it was also a game seven. If this would have been a game one or five, you know, I think the Pittsburgh game we're talking about was a was a game five. It it probably wouldn't have had the the luster. And also, too, when you hear the names Trache and LaFontaine, the two guys, you know, who ended up being, you know, so so key in all of that, that also kind of adds a little bit to it. You, you didn't get beat by Grant Martin, so to speak. You got beat by two of the greatest who ever played the game. And so all of that really added in to make it absolutely the top in terms of being of being part of any broadcast I was in. All right, Aldo, bring tears to my eyes. Talk about the La 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 Fontaine goal <laughs> and talk about Bobby Mason and the issues that he had to struggle through late in that hockey game. Well, in regulation with, as I said, the Capitals leading with, with five minutes left, 
a shot taken by Brian Trache, and it didn't look like much of a kind of more of a backhanded shot on, but Bob Mason looked like he got stuck on the ice and couldn't get over to stop it. And it was really odd to see. And I remember kind of, you know, we were describing it and, 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 and on the replay, it just didn't look like Bobby Mason was moving. We find out later, everybody thought that what he said, there would have been a, a skate malfunction. Everybody thought at the time that a strap had come loose and gotten caught on Bobby Mason's blade and he couldn't get across. It turns out that the rivets came off of the, the plate that connects the blade, the hard piece of plastic, to the boot itself. And he literally had to play the final five minutes unable to move. That skate, wow. he couldn't get across. <laughs> So to think about the fact that he had to make a couple saves to keep the game tied to get it to overtime is incredible. And then Doug Shear, the longtime equipment manager, Locker, you know Sluggo very, very well, working feverishly between the end of regulation and the start of the first overtime to get the skate repaired so Bob Basin could literally play another hockey game. So it was one of those freakish things, a save I know Bob Mason said he could have made basically in his sleep. But when the skate gave out, he literally couldn't move to his left. And that's what led to the tie. Because without it, it would have been a 2-1 victory in regulation. The Capitals move on. Grant Martin becomes a household name and a hero. And instead, we ended up with four more periods and ended up in misery in a place where so late you couldn't get a drink afterwards. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what did you do without a watering hole, Al? Farnsworth was closed, the hotel was closed, the Capitol Club was closed, even even last call in D.C., which was always later, that was done too, so you couldn't get anything, and boy, did you need something after that. Now, did you see, you're sitting at the lower concourse at Cap Center, and, and I remember seeing fans walk, walking out because it was so late, and, and did you so just late. look at them and think, what? Well... I mean, I remember seeing kid, people walk out with kids, and that was okay. understandable. I remember seeing shots mm -hmm. of kids and adults in the stands kind of like nodding off a little bit because <laughs> we were getting into 1.30 in the morning. I mean, this game ended a little before, before 2 a.m. So uh, now I've always told people, um, and people always say, you know, if they call me at like you know, 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm, I'm, I'm not awake, they're like, you know, what do you do? I say, hey. I'm training for a potential football overtime game. I was wide awake. That's my training routine, okay? If you see me out at night, I'm not having fun. I'm training in case I'm in another football overtime game. I want to be at my best. <laughs>